hello, and welcome back to another episode of MCU Need to Know, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Trey. I'm Jude. How you doing, Trey? Well, I'm excited, uh, probably for obvious reasons. Damn well better be. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was a hesitation there. I was about to say, we got a new episode to talk about. <laughs> I feel like, because we, we've done two meta episodes already. Meta episode three is going to be wild because I think this might be the longest stretch we've had and it's yeah. going to be just so much fun to let loose. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I think you're hinting at it perfectly. Like, there's many reasons for me to be excited today. Clearly, we're talking about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, dealing with Captain America, Captain America fanboy. That has me excited. But before we get into that, like, there's this there's this feeling of completion that I'm excited about having gone through nine episodes of WandaVision. Uh, done our wrap-up episode, got to guest on There Was an Idea, Terrace podcast. Mm-hmm. It's just a very satisfying feeling. So I've I've just been excited all day to start this new chapter. You know what? I was taking notes, and AMT was like, that's probably the biggest smile I've seen on you all week. I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, and then part of it is like, oh, that's a really sad statement. But I'm really... <laughs> But I'm really excited about recording, so. Hey, it's a good sign that that proves how much we love this. That's right. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, like we said, this episode is going to be dealing with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Season 1, Episode 1, titled New World Order. So if you're familiar with the way that we ran things during WandaVision, uh, we are going to get into some pre-spoiler thoughts. Uh, After that, we'll jump into the spoiler zone, which will have a cue so that you know past that point, all spoilers are fair game. And that's where you should stop listening if you're not caught up with Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So before we begin, Jude, do you have any pre-spoiler thoughts? I think this met my expectations. Yeah. It was so well-balanced and well-paced. Uh-huh. You know, and okay, so in my head, I was ready for a letdown. Wow. Because I did enjoy Wanda WandaVision so much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you've been listening to the pod, you know my critiques of it. But overall, yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And then part of me was like, okay, so here's the bar, right? And is this show going to meet it there? And it's like, yeah, I met my expectations. I thoroughly enjoyed it. What about you? Before I get into mine, just to play off what, what you said, like I, I've seen that conversation so much on the internet where people are like, they they feel like Falcon and the Winter Soldier is going to be straightforward. They know what to expect. It's more traditional MCU. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In contrast of how wild WandaVision is, there was always going to be this feeling of maybe stepping down. But I don't mm-hmm. think stepping down is pejorative because like you said, it definitely met expectations. Um which which leads me into my pre-spoiler thoughts, which I've already texted you and talked about before we recorded. It's going to be really hard for me not to overly romanticize what the yeah. show and the idea of Captain America means to me, just because like I've, I've made it known how much I like Captain America. And with this episode in particular, they're doing such incredible work setting the season, and I love the patience of this episode. Right. Um, going into this season, something that I was trying to convey but was struggling with, which I feel I'm glad you're here because I can I can allude to football a little bit. The thing that I like about Sam and Schuster. Bucky. Y'all got Schuster back. I know. I'm so okay. This is, I can't get into a Steelers side 
tangent because they lost the Super Bowl last time I did. Uh, so the thing that I loved is that it really feels like with the show, they're having Sam and Bucky be two sides of the same coin that is Steve. And it feels like, you know how in football, they'll chart the the lineage of who coached under who. So like you'll have Bill Belichick and yes. they'll always reference the school of coaching that they come from. Yeah, the from. coaching tree. Yeah. Belichick came out of what? Bill Parcells and yeah, the mm-hmm. whole thing. So that's what that feels like with Steve, but for Sam and Bucky. And I really like that feeling of the of the ripples of influence from Steve moving into this new era of the MCU, and in particular with Sam as stepping into that mantle. Wow. That's a really that's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Like I said, I'm so excited. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's going to do it for our pre-spoiler thoughts. So without further ado, we're going to play that audio cue and we'll see you on the other side. And we're back. All right. You know, sometimes I get the door song that starts playing in my head that break on through to the other side. Anyways, (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) No more derailing from me. Perfect. Because I might derail us a couple of times. Uh, (laughs) Again, like we've been, we did with WandaVision, the easiest way for us to do this in lieu of doing scene-by-scene breakdowns, we have broken this up into the most important topics of the episode and group scenes that way. So the easiest place to start with is actually the first scene, which is Sam's flight, because that feels like the most impactful way for this show to introduce itself and more to that contrast of what we were talking about with WandaVision, because even though we did get that typical MCU-style of fights towards the end of WandaVision. This mm-hmm. was pure MCU style action. And I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Even before you there, I loved the little callback to Endgame. Yeah. And, and I loved it because we talked about this months ago when we thought it was going to come out much sooner, you know, COVID where you mentioned, um, wanting to see Sam earn it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and having to have that. And so even before jumping into it, it, it it was just so well done. The way it was like we had this little callback here and then we drop ourselves right into it. I don't know. Did you get the sense? I felt like they were really giving homage, maybe, is the word I want to use, to Captain America. In that he jumped without a parachute, you know, uh-huh. um, the end of it. He had to fight one-on-one with Batrock, right? Now, I think we're, he's, we're going to see Sam have to fight one-on-one with somebody again, right? Right. Um, to earn the shield. Like, that. we all know that's coming. Uh, but it just, it was, to me, that opening scene was also just kind of a nod to that opening scene of Winter Soldier. I think you're 100% spot on. Uh, I, especially the jumping out of the, the plane without a, a parachute. Like, that feels like that's been... A trope for the MCU, not even just for Steve, but I mean, we've seen uh, Tony do it as well with different circumstances. But playing in that space, like the thing that I wrote down in my notes is this opening sequence seriously felt like it was a combination of that Lemurian star rescue at the beginning of Winter Soldier and the Mm -hmm. Air Force One rescue in Iron Man 3. So in a way, I guess like it is more calling back to... um, a little bit of Tony, obviously this is a Steve focused story, but I think it speaks to You mean a Sam focused story? Well, Sam focused story in the 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 wake of this missing figure being gone. And I think oh, okay. 
Yeah, I miss you. You're right. I thank you for the clarification. Um, but I think what I like about having those two influences, maybe intentional or not intentional, is we're seeing there are two large gaps in this MC universe that are gone, and we're watching people step up to that occasion. Uh, we saw it with Peter Parker in Far From Home. We're seeing it with Sam now as he's learning to grapple with the idea that the mantle was passed on to him. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Let me double check. When you said which part of it, you said it was a nod to Iron Iron Man Stark? The Air Force One rescue. Remember in Iron Man 3? Oh, okay. 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 Because I, I had a different note on that. I uh-huh. liked the way... I, I felt like it was a nod kind of there, the way they had that straight on shot of Sam flying. It, it, uh-huh. it reminded me of Iron Man in the helmet view. Yeah. Right? Like when he was looking at his heads up display, but it was all dark because he's inside the his mask, you know, uh-huh. his helmet. But on this one, you had that similar view, but you got to see outside because, you know, it, he wasn't in a suit. Yeah. He was wearing the goggles. And so like that there, like to me, that's your, I didn't even make that connection to Air Force One. I thought more of of that shot in particular. I'm glad you brought that up because that was one of my notes and I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up because I, I see what they're doing with that kind of like, oh, the in the HUD display look. And I've even seen people compare it like, oh, this is so cool. I'm glad they're doing it. Outside the helmet view, it looks really goofy. And I don't know why. Like, it almost has like that. Really? That f- yeah. It you has like, like his- it? no, the camera's like way too close to Sam and it makes it look like that fish eyed look. Whereas with Tony, it didn't feel like it was distorting his face any. But when they had that camera like super close up to Sam, I'm like, I don't know. I'm not I'm not feeling it. You will. You will. There's five more episodes. <laughs> you will. I, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, I like what they're trying to draw. I just yeah. pulled the camera back just a little bit. Just a little bit more. Okay. So I did say, what are my notes here? You know, because I, I, I took my notes on my second watch. On my first watch, I remember saying out loud, whoa, he just killed a guy. Yeah, I didn't write this down, but my first uh, mental note on that first watch harkened back to the Daredevil days. Yeah, Sam doesn't have a no-kill code, that's for sure. Man, well, okay, so the first one was like that ricochet. Mm -hmm. And, okay, I get it, story-wise, you need to wait for the plane to go down. We got to off the pilot. And it's a way you can kill the pilot without Sam having to kill the pilot. Yeah. But, I mean, I took it as he threw a guy right out the open door. Yeah. And the guy had no parachute, no wingsuit on yet. Mm-hmm. Now, having said that, if it was a military operation, he's working for the Air Force, it's a little bit more forgivable, like than when we talked about Daredevil as a vigilante. Uh-huh. And do you have a no-kill code? Because in, in this context, it is a different situation. But it, it was a little bit jarring, I think. To just be outright, you're not fighting one of Ultron's robots. You're mm-hmm. not fighting, you know, Chitari. Chitari insert CGI alien. Right. And you just threw the guy right out the moving plane. Um, it, which for me also signals like, dude, this is going to be, uh, it's not going to be your typical MCU to, to some degree. I mean, look, the first shot we had inside the cockpit was the guy with a bullet wound to his head. So even though that wasn't a correlation mm-hmm. of Sam's actions, this show is already opening up brutally. Yeah. And to speak a little bit more to, because I, I was wrestling with that too, and I actually I didn't connect these two points, but that does contra- not contradict, but it's going to compete a little bit what I have to say later. But 
I think the way I rationalized it later is in much like in Winter Soldier, some of those moves that Steve was pulling off, like it was kind of like the way Batman video games are like, Batman didn't kill, but you know that person's not going to be the same way afterwards. And the way that <laughs> the way that Steve was like kicking people up against the rail and throwing the shield right at their face, it's kind of that same thing. Um, and it it is it was it was unsettling too here because not only did Sam throw people out the the plane, uh, he blew up plane with people in it. He let people yeah. like smash into the rocks. Like it was yeah, it was a lot yeah. Right. And and again, I rationalized it in that this is a military operation. Right. You know, and we can get into I where I don't plan on it, but we could get into like really philosophical self-defense and all the types of stuff. Mm-hmm. And there's an element of like, OK, we're, you want to let that go because it's the show. Right. Um, but it, I the- just find it interesting, though, that right up front, they're signaling to you what's to come in terms of violence. I mean, it's the vocabulary of action movies, right? And there is, oh, yeah. ev- even though you want to have grounded storytellings, there's always going to be conflict with what you're showing and what you're telling. And I think the job of the writing is to find a happy medium of that. And so hopefully it is something that gets addressed because I can't imagine the MCU going so long without being overly violent. I mean, there have been times like in the first Captain America, somebody gets shredded in one of the thrusters. But maybe it's something that comes into conversation later on as the series progresses. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch that. What I do like is, again, this is going to a broad level. We were talking about that. This the the first sequence felt like it had its own structure. Yeah, like it had its own little story within it, and mm-hmm. little conflicts it had to solve to get to the end. You know, I felt like they they pushed the limits of believability, mm-hmm. but they didn't cross the line. Like, yeah. in other words, they, they didn't do anything that, like, okay, you've gone too far, you know? And that was the other thing I really appreciated about this first fight sequence. Mm-hmm. It, well, going too far in terms of, like, of like it, it made you forget, or it made you, like, okay, this is too much. This couldn't happen, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it, it's what we've talked about before of you need an on-ramp with superhero stories of going from grounded to the fantastical. And that's something that, even though we haven't done a full review with it, but when we talked to Katie Peters, we talked about how Doctor Strange had the skepticism into being the Sorcerer Supreme. And so on a smaller scale here, you saw the escalation of the fight. You know, it starts with Sam flying. That's pretty believable. It goes from hand-to-hand. Which we've seen before. We've seen before. Uh, We have the hand-to-hand combat to the jumpsuits, to the helicopters, and then to the heat-seeking missiles to finally that cannonball shot of him like closing the wings and rescuing the person right. th- through the the helicopter. So there's this smooth right. grading of making that sequence feel great and that was a wonderful job. Yeah, I think fantastic. I think you described that fantastic how they how they escalated there. Uh-huh. With all that in mind, I want to say already I like Torres. Yeah. But what exactly was his was he doing? <laughs> like was he was he only feeding intel like like I get that he was his ground support. But going through the canyon and all that stuff, like beyond just following him in the Jeep, I couldn't figure out what Torres was doing. You bring up a really good point that I didn't think about until just now. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe there's a clear answer. This this could be the, the uh, oh, how do we know it's two weeks from WandaVision all over again? Um, yeah. 
But yeah, I'm, I want to go back and watch and figure that out. I mean, I do like it. They're doing great work establishing Torres. No, 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 no. I, I like it. It didn't, it didn't, like, I, yeah. it sounds bad because it sounds like a mean negative or critique. No, 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 no. It was no, just no. funny to me. Hey, it was funny to me because I was just like, it's like, okay, you're, you're his man in the chair. Uh-huh. But y'all are with the Air Force. Y'all have, <laughs> y'all have, y'all have unmanned drones that y'all, thousands of miles away. Yeah. Why do you have to be following him in the Jeep to do this? <laughs> Listen, sometimes we have to suspend disbelief that the broadcast meant nothing, and sometimes we have to suspend the disbelief that the Air Force is going to be useful. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I was going to say, as far as you sound like, I totally get your point. Don't worry about sounding negative, because we're definitely going to need to have some balance as we get further along in our notes. <laughs> but uh, I think that wraps it up there, and you segue us perfectly into the next important topic, which is... Torres and the Flag Smashers. And so, as you were talking about, we get the the establishing scenes of Sam and Torres and their relationship. Um, We'll cover that, and we'll cover everything that he was doing as he was infiltrating to learn more about this rising cult called the Flag Smashers, who believe Mm -hmm. things were better in the blip. So, again, because you just talked about it, so I'm going to read what my first note was. Torres is already being established as a great sidekick, and I hope he sticks around and isn't secretly a villain or gets killed. And the fact that Sam <laughs> the fact that Sam said, "Hey, I'll pay you back for the drinks next time" makes me think that he's a goner because anytime someone says, "I'll get you next time" in the story, <laughs> and he's not there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm preparing myself for either way. Well, you know what? He almost didn't make it through this episode. Yeah. And being honest, like, he like actually shouldn't have. actually again, my note was so just just to set the scene while you're looking for that, you know, later on in the episode, we see that he joins the Flag Smashers meeting to try and figure out what's going on. And as everything is going on chaotically, he runs into supposedly at least one of the main people of that group because he has superpowers and he was launching people with his punches. And it ends with Torres getting curb stomped in the face from that person so yeah 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 so he should so, be alive yeah i found it i found it my note is torres is lucky it's a marvel show otherwise he's dead <laughs> uh, i want to read mine now because we have something similar i wrote torres is admirable but dumb which feels really fitting <laughs> for mcu heroes <laughs> <laughs> okay okay so you brought up this and i'm curious was that kick so so like so we see the fight and then we get to see it again. And even Sam makes a comment on, Hey, this guy's strong, right? Yeah. He says, was that kick simply to show off? And this is my question. Is that, was that simply to show off like, Hey, this guy's strong uh-huh. or was this trying to establish some kind of care towards those in the group? Cause he like, he fully could have kept going Yeah, and he stopped to, to, to get that security guard off of one of the people in the mask. Right. And and so I just found that interesting because it, it just come across of like, like Torres showed up because he's following this message board. And so I'm assuming a lot of these other people are doing the same and they don't know who this guy is. Right. Right. And so, and so to like make it a point, like it wasn't like a guard came, like, cause you could have shown his strength by a guard coming at him. Uh-huh. And then him kicking or punching him away and shown the strength that way. But they showed him by intentionally stopping what he was doing and helping somebody else. Hmm. And so so I was really curious of like, 
was that also to kind of character develop this guy a little bit as almost like we talk about, like we want those, hopefully some complexity in, in villains as best mm-hmm. villains who were doing seemingly wrong things, you know, or doing wrong things for seemingly the right reasons, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and so, I, so that, that was interesting to me that they went that way with it. I don't know if I had a thought on that particular, I, I did question, um, cause I, I think essentially what you're asking is if, if this was like maybe not an act of forgiveness, but sparing, like this is not, you know, you are not important to me. I just need you out of the way and moving forward. Mm. I don't know. Cause I think he could have kept going. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, cause like he could have got away and he went and got the security guard off of someone else wearing a mask. And the way I read it is those people there in the mask, he clearly didn't know who they were. He was just helping because they were one of his group. So in other words, they were like, in other words, they were more than just pawns to him. <laughs> you, you know, I'm thinking of something because one of the things that I, I thought to, and again, it always comes back to Nolan. I thought about the opening scene in the dark night where it's different uh, henchmen that have, are all in that get up of mm-hmm. the clown mask and whatnot. Yeah. And the big reveal is that one of them is the Joker and we see that he just straight up kills the other henchmen because, right. you know, power move that I see what you mean now. Like they, they weren't just pawns. They were something to him. Yeah. I don't know. You, I'm, I want to rewatch that scene now. Cause I, that didn't cross my mind, but I want to go back. And it's interesting. Cause I'm, I'm curious of, I like that they brought back bat rock. Um, mm-hmm. and I wanted to curious. LAF, do they actually say what those initials stand for and I just miss it? I didn't get it if they did. Okay. Because they made it a point to like, they were going LAF, and so I assume Batrocks with LAF. Uh Uh-huh. But Torres made it a point to say Flag Smashers are worse. Yes. And then you have a scene to kind of show, I guess what, how sophisticated they are? How organized Mm -hmm. they are? You know, so in, in that I liked, this is something that's going to be very different. From WandaVision. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. What's up? Dude. What up? This isn't a pause. Mean Green just beat Purdue. Oh, my That's gosh. Awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Man, okay. you had me panicking. I thought you weren't recording. There's no like, panic, I was man. Like... There's, it was like, like it, it's another upset in the March Madness tournament. And I went to University of North Texas. So like I'm invested in them moving on to the second round. Okay. Anyways. Um, oh my God. So yeah. Well, my phone started blowing up. Like, no, 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 like, no. Because, no I, I, because of that. My oh, um, my, oh my God is not the me undercutting sports. It's the, like, I thought something seriously went wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, something seriously went well. Um, so so yeah, so where was I? Flag Smashers getting worse. Oh, okay. So what I was going to make a connection to WandaVision. Yeah. And something that it dawned on me while we were talking with Tara on, uh-huh. you know, there was an idea podcast. One of the things that I think that, that, and, and I haven't read this anywhere. And, and so I'm sure it's out there and people have addressed it because the villain was grief. Mm-hmm. I think that at least for me and i think for maybe for a lot of people that was missed because in the back to the because in the behind the scenes they clearly said the villain was grief and right. agatha as a big bad was just like a bonus mm-hmm. and so i think that also like because you're expecting so a lot of people some people are expecting mephisto or agatha like, like you're expecting the traditional big bad and no the 
it was her own grief, right? That she was dealing with. Whereas this is going to be, there, there's clearly that Marvel structure, right? Here's LAF. And then here's another level of villain that's even worse. And so in, in this, I think, I think if we see some people liking this more than WandaVision, mm-hmm. I think, I think that's going to be some of the reason, because there's going to be a tangible villain that, that's not, um, you know, purely emotional. Conceptual. Yeah. Conceptual is a better way to put it. No, I think that's, that's a really interesting point and something to keep track of as we move going forward. Sticking with the the Flag Smashers, though, I wanted to circle back on something that you were saying and something that I liked what they're doing is you mentioned reading into that scene with the super strong, the super strong guy that we don't have a name for yet. And was it showing a complexity to him? I really like that we are seeing this anti-superhero ideology and cult-like status of the Flag Smashers because it's because it's like they're establishing a sympathetic reason for them to exist. So, you know, stuff like world unity or feeling like things were better in the blip. Obviously, it's not that simple of just having a sympathetic reason. But for mm-hmm. the best antagonists or villains or forces or whatever have you, the best ones are ones that stem from a point of understanding. And so that the, they took time to do that with the Flag Smashers. And I think that's going to pay off wonderfully as the season goes forward. Yeah. And it and it makes me feel more invested in what you were reading into with that that super strong guy of this is more than just mm-hmm. being bad to be bad. Yeah. I think you're right. I will say just to add on a small little point, uh in that exchange at the very beginning where they were describing what the flag smashers are, where Torres and Sam were have at the diner or the cafe, I love that it's kind of wrapped up in conspiracy too, not only because that there's some unfortunate real world counterparts to that, but Torres mentions that like, oh, I heard online that, you know, Steve is secretly hiding in the moon and watching over all of us. And for a moment, I read that in real world context of like, oh no, that's so silly. And then I thought about it. There's Stark tech. There's Wakanda tech. There are aliens and magic. The conspiracy theories in the MCU have got to be so much worse. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's not that unbelievable that Steve would be on the moon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, two other things. I liked on that, that idea of on the moon. I put, well, is that a sword reference? Um, Uh. Just want to say that so it's on the record. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, I mean, because it's just, I don't know. But And I loved his response back of like, I got to go do moon stuff. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You know, well, because that's the other thing they established. Like the idolization of him, right? Mm-hmm. With through Torres, through the p- people in the street. So yeah. yeah, that was really cool. And then there's there's that line Sam says back talking about the flag smashers. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Where he says, "Every time the world gets better for one group, it gets worse for another." Mm-hmm. Um. And I thought coming from Sam, who yeah, you know, pick we the idea of picking up the mantle of Captain America, the idea of being blipped the idea of being a person of color i I think there was a lot wrapped up into that line Mm -hmm. uh that was just i I really enjoyed that there's a lot to 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 wrestle with there and it's hard to say any definitive way because it like we said it's it's complex and we still have yet to see the way the season plays out but again we talked about establishing the almost sympathetic reason for the flag smashers but go back to infinity war what did Thanos say? He wanted to bring or not bring balance to the force. What am I talking about? <laughs> oh my gosh. 
that's staying in. So, uh, you know, go back to Thanos. That was his whole thing, right? Is that he wanted everything perfectly balanced. And on right. paper, that's a great idea, right? Who wouldn't who wouldn't want that equality? And even in Endgame, Steve tries to see optimistically, like, hey, things are getting better. Like, I saw whales in, in the, the sea today. In the Hudson, like, yeah. Yeah, the Hudson, thank you. So, like, on paper, that idea is better. But I think Sam brings in that reality of, like, it's not so simple because it's so hard to rectify and balance everything on a harmonious scale. And so right. that line is, like you said, really, really important. Yeah. So I think that's going to wrap up everything we need to talk about with Torres and the Flag Smashers for now. Really excited to see where that goes. But for now, uh, one of the bigger topics to discuss is Bucky's amendments. So this entails everything with learning that he is in therapy, that he is actively working towards righting some of the wrongs that he had as the Winter Soldier and what that has done to him mentally, as we see with some of his nightmares that he's having to his days as the Winter Soldier. And we get to see one of those storylines in active motion with his friendship with Yuri. Uh, so, okay, I like the way they handled, at least so far, getting to know Bucky through flashbacks. Or his nightmares, not really flashbacks. Yeah. We talked about this with Daredevil, right? If you're going to do a flashback, it has to have a point. Mm-hmm to develop the character or push the story along, it can't be for a gimmick. Right. And in doing it this way, you know, through the nightmares and then jumping into, I, I just thought it was very clever, you know, cause this is something I wanted. I wanted to see his backstory. I didn't imagine it going this way, but I'm so glad this is the way they went. Yeah. I think you're referencing, cause we recently had a guest spot on, there was an idea with Tara and she asked us things we were hoping for. And we both had, different answers and you were zoning in on some of the things you wanted to see with Bucky and I was zoning in on some of the things of the Captain Amer Captain America ideology it really feels like this episode gave us both what we were hoping for I know we haven't mm -hmm. we haven't covered Sam yet but we'll get there well and I like because we talked about they they completely found a way to like subvert our expectations uh-huh just using the basic vocabulary we start off with the fight with Sam we get Sam and Torres we go to the Smithsonian, and I know we'll talk about that later, but like just following scene by scene. Uh -huh. And then from there, we go to the first nightmare. But at mm -hmm. this point, we don't know it's a nightmare. So in like in my head, my expectation, like I was expecting to be introduced to the bad guy. Yeah. And it ended up being Bucky. And so like, because you just got finished talking about LAF and then, you know, Flag Smashers, they're even worse. So, like, I'm expecting, it's like they just, they knew how to set me up to expect that when you see the Dark Shadows. Like, okay, we're going to get a first glimpse of a villain. Um, and then it was Bucky because other than that, you had no indication yeah. that it was a flashback. So that was so well done. I don't think I fully, like, articulated that in my thoughts. But you you were spot on with how that feels. That is a that was a great way to play with those expectations because, you know, Bucky was the villain. Like he did do heinous acts, and now we're seeing right. him rectify. And so leading into that moment of thinking it's going to be the villain and having to wrestle with what that means, that's really strong. Just visual storytelling, and yeah. to speak a little bit more, just for my own personal notes, is you know seeing Bucky during the Winter Soldier saga of his life was really bizarre to me because I forget I often forget how brutal of a killing machine he was and so to see right. that again was jarring 
and then I'm glad they found a way to bring back the Winter Soldier theme because it's just so powerful. Well, we've only seen it in one movie. Well, well uh, uh, I guess I guess Civil War a little bit. Yeah, but but you, because you know how he was manipulated into doing it, uh-huh. it's a little bit more sympathetic of a view yeah. than in Winter Soldier. You know, uh-huh. and, and I so say, in the movie Winter Soldier. Gotcha. I say these things l- delicately again because we talked about this on Terrors, like Terrors podcast. The MCU often invokes very heavy topics. Uh, I think they do it carefully, but uh, I'm using language where in Civil War it almost felt like watching someone in relapse. Like we've seen the person that he's trying to be and what has been mm-hmm. done to them. And because mm-hmm. he does get back to that Winter Soldier mode in Civil War, it's it's watching someone in relapse and feeling sorry for them. Whereas in Winter Soldier, it is this ruthless killing machine. And right. that's what they invoke in this show is more back to that. And, it, and yeah. go back again to Daredevil. It's like what we said. There's different modes of fighting. You have Daredevil from the perspective of the monster of being this larger mm-hmm. than life figure or being with him up close and personal with the drag down fights. Yeah, and they and they did a good job showing those. MCU's so good. Uh, go to go to our backlog if you haven't yet. We'll, we go through that. So. Um, now, something you did say about dealing with heavy topics. Yeah, I I'm just gonna read my note. Go for it, and then and then kind of try to digest it. Um, I wrote, not sure I like this scene, but I'm critical, picky maybe, of how mental health and therapy is portrayed. Yeah, and mainly. I don't want to see the usual tropes of therapy as bad or therapists not knowing what they're doing. Yeah. And that, and that's something that, especially the more that I have had personal experiences, whether with me and people I know that needing therapy and dealing with mental health issues. And the more I understand it, I just hate that trope mm-hmm. and, and how it's portrayed. And so I'm not sure how I feel about that scene. There's some of it that I liked in the sense of like where, where like it worked, but I felt so conflicted where she was like, she got out her notebook, started writing. Mm-hmm. Oh, the notebook thing again. She's like, you know, if you're not going to talk, I'm going to write, you know? Right. Um, and, and so, and I don't want to call it banter between them, but I just, I don't know. It's so I'm still conflicted on that. I want to watch it again. No, I, I'm right there with you. I think not as much, but I totally had those feelings as well because there is some, I mean, they were just one one scene away from Bucky laying down on a sofa to being like the exact trope of what therapy is always pictured in right. in media. And I think they're both aware of it and playing in it because they have the stuff like the notebook, but also the I because th- I think at one point the therapist asked Bucky, "What do you want?" And he says, "Peace," and she says, "Bullshit." Like. Like that antagonistic nature of the therapist is trying to play yeah. into some of those play outside of those tropes but it was like they couldn't commit fully without going to them right i will say things that did work for me um and this is i'll I'll be completely honest i'm currently in therapy like i've been experiencing it for the first time and what that feels like so this this did resonate with me on a different level and the thing that i think stuck out to me was that close-ups that they were doing like the extreme close-ups of both bucky and the therapist because it felt like it was invoking those feelings of having to be completely honest which i know sounds like counterproductive because that's why you're going to therapy is to like open up and yeah. talk about things that need to be worked out and so the way that they invoke those up close personal feelings 
it reminds me of some of my own personal experiences where I am holding on close to some of the things that I should be sharing. And then you had that realization, like there is no progress without being open. And I like that feeling just from the close-ups alone. Right. Because it was uncomfortable, just to put a final yeah. point on it. And sometimes therapy can be uncomfortable. Yeah. So I liked the the, the close-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, like like I think they did a good job. There it is. I'm looking for a note. Yeah. Um, yeah. The the extreme close-ups was really good. You, it did invoke, because we're not used to that. And uh-huh. I like the way they let them kind of come in and out of frame in their movement. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it kind of had a, this weird focus. You can clearly see the the eyes and kind of the nose, the way that they were light, lit, um, the lighting, all of that I really loved. But I, I must be honest, like there was one thing that caught my eye in the extreme close up and it sent me down uh, the a theories road, which I, I want to try <laughs> to avoid a little bit of speculation. But it did make me wonder if the therapist is actually Mephisto. if we were being signaled not, not to trust her. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Is Mephisto the therapist? Um, <laughs> oh, no, only because in that in that close up. In the background, there looked like they had this like smile with these fangs. Yeah, and and I was looking at it, and I was just like, "It's like okay." In my head, I'm like, "That has to be intentional." In the second watch, I'm like, "And by now, by the end of the scene, the first watch, I'm like, no, I'm just just shut up. You enjoy it.'" And the second <laughs> watch, I'm like, "No, that has to be intentional." So I don't know if they were signaling that. I hope not. Again, because what we were saying in terms of portrayals of therapy. Mm-hmm. And mental health, and I, and I don't want it to be. But that extreme close-up, I, I agree with you. It was so well done to kind of show the tone and the seriousness and the mm-hmm. uncomfortability of, I would say, Bucky more so than the therapist. But that that did stick out to me for some reason. That just jumped out. Maybe it's just my mind and like gotcha. putting shapes together. But no, I I didn't feel that watching it, but I can see what you're getting at as well. I am also with you on. I hope not either. Because, again, portrayal therapy and and everything that that entails, but the main lesson that the therapist was trying to apply to Bucky's situation is that feeling of needing to trust again. And so if this person that is shepherding his trust also turns out to not be trustworthy, that's not not good storytelling for me, at least, because it it feels like it defeats the purpose. And I like that they're taking the time to show Bucky working through this rather than being a Wakanda trip magic wave of everything just being fine now. So I like that. And and I like it because there was a line there that really resonated with me as well. And I feel like if they do turn out to be a villain, they would take away from it. But the therapist was going through how Bucky has closed himself off from everybody. And she ends with this line that says, if you are alone, that is the quietest, most personal hell. And I like that because speaking again from my own personal experiences with my issues and therapy and whatnot, The thing that I always come back to when I try to relate to other people who may be struggling with is that the biggest trick that mental health plays against us is that it makes you feel alone. Yeah. And so to see that Bucky is struggling with it and is being and it's being openly addressed, that hit Mm -hmm. hard. And so for Mm -hmm. the sake of those moments, I I hope this remains a good, solid foundation for Bucky. Me too. Me too. Mm -hmm. Now, we didn't touch on the amends. I really like or, or like his his rules. And uh-huh. I, my my favorite was the questioning of rule two. <laughs> it was like, he's like, yeah, this is a big one. Well, why isn't this first? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I love the peak of his personality too. It's something we never really get to see. Yeah. So I, I really, really enjoyed 
that um, and him showing and just hi, I'm not the Winter Soldier anymore. I'm James Buchanan, <laughs> like in there, and, and then just that smile at the end yeah. of the movie uh, was just great. Yeah, and and it's it's wonderful because clearly the the way they were juxtaposing him retelling what the amendments are to the therapist to what actually happened. And how the whole therapy scene even opened up with her saying, you need to open up to me if this is going to work. Right. We see that he's at a place where he might not be taking it 100% seriously. He is because mm-hmm. clearly he is going on these amendments and trying to make things right. But I don't know if he's fully embraced it, that ideology and whether or not he can, because this is a superhero show. And as we talked about, there are some language or there are some vocabularies that you just go with. But it's it's more in that line of showing how much you have to trust in that that feeling of therapy being an active working thing a thing that you work towards right right so i i just want to say we're still sticking within the bucky theme but before we move on from the therapy section or at least the the bulk of the therapy section i do want to say that um you know it is important to to seek therapy obviously we're trying to be uh, cautious and not underplay the importance of it so if it's something that you feel like you need can afford i think the best way i've seen it described is just like you go to the gym to work out your physical health going to the therapy is the way that you tackle your mental health as well so yes absolutely anything i just want to make sure we hammer the po- point that we're not undercutting therapy at all no and yes no no way yeah uh, <laughs> It's always um, good to have disclaimers. So, okay, so you mentioned something about the visual vocabulary and right. language, and, and it triggered me uh, in the scene with Yori in the uh-huh. in the the bar, I guess. Yeah, their diner. Yeah, I didn't catch that the person Winter Soldier killed in the nightmare was Yori's son. Yeah, and the visuals, which which the visuals, music, acting, all should have clued me in. That oh, this is you know because especially when he told his uh, his story about his son, he was sad about his son. He died, wrong place, wrong time. But he felt like he was something else to it. I didn't catch. I, I didn't put that two and two together. And everything, visual, cinematography, language, all of it should it was telling you that's what it was. I personally, I'm glad I didn't catch it because I think later, when I found out, it had a bigger impact on me. Mm-hmm. But I was curious. Did you catch that? I... Like at that moment. There's levels to it. So in that moment, I caught on to the idea that, hey, this is most likely going to be somebody that he killed in whatever whatever his Winter Soldier missions were. At that right. point, I didn't pick put two and two together of the person he kills in the beginning. But once he goes to Yuri's door and sees the picture, obviously that's when it clicked for me. Right. I think you're stumbling onto something that I'm wrestling with is... In Daredevil, we talked, man, we're referencing it so much. In Daredevil, we talked about this idea of trusting me to know what you're telling versus handholding and when where that fine line is. Right. You, you, you mentioned earlier that you love the line where Sam was packaging uh, the shield and the line from in-game plays where Steve asked, how does it feel? And Sam says, like, it belongs to somebody else. And that moment, yeah. I was kind of like, this feels a little handholdy. I would have liked to have seen the silent contemplation of Sam dealing with the shield going into right. the action scene. But I think I can kind of feel in the opposite direction here with Yuri that like maybe a little bit more of that visual cluing in. And I think the answer yeah. might be it's it's different for everybody. Everybody has a different mm. level of where they want the story to be handholdy or let you infer. But it's an interesting thing to think about. Yeah. Well, it, okay. If you, if you picked up on it at that point before the nightmare, let us know. Yeah. Let me know in the Discord. Let me know in the 
Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm curious. At MC, you need to know. So, you know, we're talking about Yuri. Essentially, what's going on here, just to set it up a little bit more, is after Bucky's session in therapy, we see that he meets up with this elderly man named Yuri, and they go to this bar slash diner together. And to me, this relationship is perfect. Um, we'll get into it a little bit more with Sam, uh, too. But I think one of the strengths of this episode is similar to what we talked about on Tara's podcast. The best superhero stories are the ones that take the macro level action of the problem at hand and pairs it with the micro of the relatable problem. Right. And having Bucky have to deal with the act of forgiveness or, and being open and honest in the way that manifests with Yuri is just really moving because it starts off where we see there is this camaraderie between them because, you know, Bucky is 106 years old. He's finding uh -huh. comfort in this elderly man and they can relate in a way that nobody else can with Bucky because he is new to this time. Um, relatively new because right. he's been around for a while. Um, right. So to have that moment where you realize, oh, this he has personally affected this person was just incredibly heartbreaking. Yeah. Okay. I'm just going to read my note because it's almost identical to what you were just saying. Uh -huh. said, interesting conflict they're setting up. Yuri is someone Bucky identifies with because they're basically the same age. And here's where I really, I, I hope we don't, God, I hope we keep following this. Yuri wants closure and Bucky can give it to him. But that means Bucky is losing a friend and hurting Yuri all over again. And it, that that's what I got out of that sequence. And it was just so heart-wrenching for me. Uh -huh. And just so curious of like, how that's going to play out because you have yeah. this whole sequence of him being talking about being alone and here's the numbers you have and you don't answer Sam's text and all this stuff. And he clearly like feels like a talking to a peer and talking to Yori. Yeah. You know, but he, you know, he, in opening up and being honest and doing that, he's going to have to potentially lose a friend, you know, when you don't have many already. So I have two thoughts with that. Something that just spurred me because it was funny when the therapist asks for Bucky's phone. It's a flip phone, which is a nice callback to him being a man out of time, much like Steve yeah. when he gave the phone to Tony. But the second thought, you know, I, I talked about how there's almost this lineage of the ripple effects of Steve and how we're seeing Sam deal with that and how we're seeing Bucky deal with that. This mm -hmm. conflict is exactly what Steve went through with Tony. And Tony wanting, maybe not actively wanting that closure about what happened to his parents. Right. But that moment where Steve, it was revealed that Steve knew, we saw the fallout with that. And so right. to have that explored more here with Bucky and Yori, it's a testament to why these Disney Plus shows are so good. Because it is allowing us to see what is going on rather than them just kind of telling us at, at broad yeah. strokes. God, that last statement's so interesting. The testament to why these Disney Plus shows are so good. We're only 10 episodes into these Disney Plus shows with so many more to come. <laughs> Let's you hope know, they but, keep but, being this great. But, I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I think yeah. you're perfectly spot on with that, you know? And it's just like, just kind of showing of what's to come. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I even talked to my my friend Nedge. This is, sorry, this is relevant. That's why I'm buttoning in. Uh, no, no, go ahead. You know, she was like, so how was it? Um, is this thematic like WandaVision or is this more traditional MCU? And I said, imagine the MCU with time to breathe. And that's what this is. Yeah. But yeah, uh, I think one of the last things we can cover here in the Bucky's amendment section is we see that he is set up in the bar by Yuri. And something that I didn't realize I wanted until after it happened 
was Bucky's thoughts on online dating. That I don't know what it was, but that just got me cracking up. That's so great. <laughs> um, that's oh my gosh that that was that whole sequence, and especially like I don't know what's the association of P knuckle with old people. I have no idea. Am, am I crazy on that? And I don't mean to uh-huh. sound like insensitive when I say it that way, but it was just uh-huh. like, it, it was just kind of like that was what was used in cards. And like, I just, I don't know. Um, <laughs> and, and she's like, as long as it's not pinochle. And, and he's like, what's wrong with pinochle? Um, I don't know. Unless it was an inside joke that I just completely missed. I was just like, I like to play cards. Like what's, it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> But no, I love that whole sequence, the whole online dating, um, the the frustration of like, hey, I haven't danced. Uh, what? Pronunciation. I haven't danced <laughs> since 1943. Um, uh-huh. You know, uh, I love that they played Battleship, you know, yeah. and it was just that they just did that so well. Well, even on the point of Battleship, something I liked, and again, it's more of the way this episode played with visual misdirections, I guess, if we want to put a point on it like that, yeah. is... The scene when they start to play Battleship, I don't remember if they cut away to something else and came back or if they just cut to this. She is like staring at him intensely and she, he goes, what are you doing? And she goes, I'm reading your mind. And then she said, I forgot what it was, B-59 or something like that. And he goes, oh, that's a hit. For a moment, I forgot that they were playing Battleship. And so the reading your mind is more of like, oh, she's trying to figure out the move. But it works on such a different level of Bucky's in this uncomfortable situation and trying to adapt in a more contemporary world and to have this person that he has clear interest in and learning to be opened with them. Having her say, I'm invading your privacy is Uh it's more of that like, you know, it's playful on her part, but it shows where Bucky is uncomfortable. It's really uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 No, no, no. I I had the same. I had a similar note. I... Well, especially because the therapy scene, the probing questions, how he was, how he was not very open, and we know like his issues on uh, his head issues, right? The whole brainwashing thing, mm-hmm. and so it, it was a really nice way to kind of show him trying to be, you know, a civilian now, to use the therapist terms. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I did. I want to throw one question out to like broadly, like Discord, Twitter. Instagram, social media is bringing flowers to the date. Really old fashioned. Huh? Based on, on other contemporary questions I've heard where, and I think just phrasing that way gives an indication of my own personal dating life. Other contemporary questions I've heard (laughs) is the argument, uh, the argument of, is it appropriate to text the date that you're there or to walk up to the door and knock to announce your presence? Like I've seen that conversation. Really? God, yeah. you can tell it's been a long time since I've dated. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, on I the just, knock at the door. Just go up to the door like, and knock. That's all on paper. Just go, yeah, go up to the door and knock. Okay. I'll let you know when it gets to practice. Uh, but like the flowers thing, it, it's more in line with how they keep playing with these these nods of Bucky being old fashioned with the card game, with the how old are you, 106, and just playing it off flippantly. Yeah, um, that was a good, yeah. It, it is more in that line, but... I like I like you opening up. Person, to answer your question, I don't think it would be old fashioned. I think it'd be a nice gesture. Let us know at MC. You need to know. So <laughs> <laughs> you need to know at Gmail. I'm I'm honestly I'm genuinely because like because like part of me I'm like no that's just the right thing to do. Yeah. Ah, uh, am do I you... old old fashioned? <laughs> <laughs> 
Dude, okay. we've tried so many ways to engage with, like, have social media engagement. I think that one question might be it right there. <laughs> <laughs> it, it almost feels like the equivalent of, like, the, is the dress, uh, what is it, black and blue or, or white and gold? Like, it's going to be those questions that people have to answer. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Um, so nice. Okay. Uh, here we also learn about Yori, right? And yep. this is where we kind of, you know, where he, where he leaves. She has those, those lines that hit me really hard, you know, as a parent, mm-hmm. this whole, there's no words for someone, uh, for someone whose kids die because that's the worst thing that could happen. Yeah. Um, my my first watch, my thought was like, no, we do have words. It's called sad and tragic. Um, <laughs> but but she's right in terms of like widow, you know, yeah. and orphan and stuff. And yeah, it's uh, that one really, you know, hit me hard. Um, and then to see Yori's on the top of the list. Yeah. It makes me wonder, like, I'm not doubting the importance of it, but it makes me wonder how that relationship started. Like, what was it about that that stood out to Bucky so much that he sought out Yori and befriended him? Or did he befriend Yori and later found out and that's why I got moved to the list, if that makes sense? Yeah. Because it, if I'm just thinking from the perspective of like, this is a guy that has killed thousands of people mindlessly under the control of Hydra. It was a short list. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why this this particular person. I mean, it's sad. I don't want to sound like I'm just dismissing. No, 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 no. I, no, no, no. I understand. Yeah, I just want to know how Yuri played into that, and we may never know. But it is. I think it it speaks to the the specialness of this relationship. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up with Bucky's section. There's clearly a lot to digest in there, and it's going to be really exciting to see what they do moving forward. Again, I mentioned at the top, it, it's amazing the patience that they've had in this first episode of setting the pieces in place. Um, spectacularly done with Bucky. Right. But that leaves us to our next important topic, which is... Sam's legacy. So this is going to entail everything that is dealing with Sam. We, we already covered the opening mission. So this is more in line with him having the press conference about giving the shield back, uh, dealing with him going back home in New Orleans to visit with his sister and handle all the dealings with their family business and potentially losing their boat and the revelation of the new Captain America. So I was going to say this. I've already been hinting at like how I'm going to be overly romantic about this. I'm going to start here if you're okay with it. And we can, we can move. I'm trying to leave that for the last thing. The place that I wanted to start with, again, we were talking about it with Bucky, how this show is doing a great thing of setting up the micro with the macro. Getting to see Sam visit his family and see the struggle that he is having with keeping the family business going is a perfect parallel to him giving up the shield. You know, I I love the way that they were framing this as Sam is doing this out of guilt, you know, visiting his family, trying to be there for his sister. He's doing it out of guilt for being gone. And he even uses the words legacy because not only is it what he's dealing with here with the family, but it's what he just let go of with the shield. So it's such a great dramatic irony that the thing he's wrestling with has built this guilt, but it's also bringing him back to wrestle with it here while having the shield legacy in the back of his mind. Yeah. I like how they told you there's, I like how they told you their story and that you see what the boat is named, right? And it was clearly like Mm -hmm. parents' names. You see when he's trying to get the boat working. That se- that sequence I really love because you get those little pictures on the dash. Um, he's already working on high-tech stuff, mm-hmm. right, on his own gear. 
And he's like, he's not letting Air Force guys touch it and, and this, and he's getting that working. But then when he goes to work on something less high tech, you know, just straight up mechanical, like your expectations are he should have been able to fix it. Right. You know, and, and not doing, I, I liked how they had those two scenes, you know, to kind of, to kind of show that <laughs> I liked his sister's line only because it, it kind of, Hey, it made me laugh, but it kind of showed, I think a lot about their relationship and how they were strained when mm-hmm. she said, when she said, you know, we were off fighting uh Dr. Space Cape, <laughs> you know, like that made me laugh yeah. so hard, but also there's that element of like, the strain of like they're not close like it's almost you know it was like you got this feeling like she knew what the name was she knew but it was kind of intentional you know Mm -hmm. um so yeah i i really like the way they did the sequence and i'll be honest that every time we saw sam with his sister i got angry because i'm like yeah because i'm like she was doing the right thing and i was getting angry with sam for not wanting to sell the boat it was like what are you doing Mm. like I don't care that's half your boat or half the house. You're off doing Air Force things. Yeah. You don't live there. I, I was I was getting angry with Sam there. I can see that. And, and I think it does play into what we're saying. Like, he's trying to fix this thing because this supposed... I don't want to say supposed because we don't know enough to read into that. But him saying right. that, oh, this is our legacy... It's, it's like when you fixate on something, but it's not what you're actually thinking about. It's just the face that your anxiety is wearing. Like, that's what that boat is to him. So I didn't read that anger, but now I can see it now because, yeah, like he is budding. He's been gone. This isn't his place to make that decision. Right. No, and, and, and it's not, and I don't even think it's been, it's not a, oh, you were blipped, it's been gone. Because she has the line, yeah you know, right your wrongs because you couldn't deal with what was going on here. Talking about mm-hmm. when he initially left for the Air Force. Like, yeah. so there was clearly something, and I'm sure we'll see it, that there was a strained relationship there. Um, and so, yeah, I got personally frustrated and angry with Sam there. It's like this, uh, which which is good, right? Like, yeah, mm-hmm. you want these shows to evoke emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he comes on the other side, it, hopefully it'll be that much more rewarding um, when they take me on that journey. Well, much like when we say your antagonist, your villains, your opposing forces have to be sympathetic in a way, it's equally as good if your protagonists are frustrating because then you get to see that journey as they come to a place where, hey, now we understand. Well, mm-hmm. I, I will say this. My lens that I will probably see the rest of this through just because this uh-huh. is the way I read the episode and I'm talking about Sam and Bucky here. Sam is trying to return but he's not returning for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. Bucky has returned, but it's not what he thought it would be. And like, that's, I think where we're going to kind of see them, their arc kind of playing out. Huh? Yeah. That's, that's the feel I got from it. I like that a lot. That's something that I'm going to be keeping in the back of my mind as I watch this. Uh, and then I have a bullet point second viewing and I'm still angry with Sam. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little bit more worried about how I'm about to wax poetically here. Um, <laughs> Now, you, you said a couple of things that I want to circle back to. One, the way the sister referred to, what was it, Captain Super Cape or whatever? Oh, that's even better. Or is it even better? I don't know. Uh, Dr. Space Cape. Dr. Space Cape, yeah. That, when she referenced that, I get what you mean about it being intentional. But again, going back to why these shows are great is that it keeps fleshing out the world where we saw Infinity War, we saw Endgame, and we knew that that was the biggest thing ever. Right. But for the smaller people, the world kept going. And like seeing oh, yeah. that, 
Yeah, for seeing that contextualized, because it wasn't just that moment. There were other moments where, um, you know, at the beginning, where Sam and Torres were talking, that family came in and was like, oh, the Avengers, you know, you brought yeah, my significant yeah. other back to me. Or even in the bank when they're trying to get the loan, the guy is so callous about like, oh, I love the Avengers. You know, can we get a selfie? Can you pose with your arms out? And mm-hmm. yet he's not there to help him. So it's like, it's it's almost feeding into why that sympathetic feeling of these anti-superhero ideology is brewing because there's a disconnect between what we've seen as trying to be the force for good and how that is rippling through the actual world. And right. it's a struggle. And it goes back to what you're, we were saying with Sam, that when one thing gets good for one group, it gets worse for another. It's hard to find that balance. Yeah. No, I... I would say, I think you're right, because they are, that's another one where a lot was going on in that scene, in Uh terms of what what you've been saying since WandaVision, that they're building is this anti-powered or superhero or enhanced, whatever word you want to use, at some point we're going to say mutant, Um, but this anti-those people. And in that scene, you know, his sister had that line, funny how it always tightens around us. You know, mm-hmm. talking about the small business loans, you know, the the qualifications tightening. Um, and and you get that that both ends of like, hmm, like clearly there is an element of racial tensions in that yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Right. And it would be I was gonna say silly, the silly's not the right word. It would be just downright criminal to not deal with that when you're when Sam Wilson's your main one of your main characters. You know, uh, and so like, yeah. And, but I think there's also that element too, in terms of you see his kind of the, the banks kind of the loan officer, maybe whatever, like fandom. And I think you're going to start to see even more that the contrasting of like, oh, you're an Avenger, but then you're going to see the really hardcore. Well, like they mentioned with the flag smashers, we were better off this way. Yeah. And it's y'all's fault. It's not this way anymore. Mm-hmm. You're touching on something, again, going back to the Terrace podcast, I mentioned how it feels like this is primed to tell a really emotional story because you do have those racial tensions of Sam being a person of color trying to step into this idealized version of America. And again, it, I, I forgot what words you used in, in lieu of silly. They're, they, it's criminal. right there and criminal. It's right there for them to not touch on it. I know this is superhero shows. Not everybody's looking for that, but they are primed for it. And I'm wondering if that will be what they do. Yeah, I think I think so. I think they have mm-hmm. to. Yeah. You know, and I think we're we're seeing it like I think it's layered into that line. Sam said it's clearly mm-hmm. layered into this scene. I do want to circle back one more thing, because, again, they're they're setting up such great work with Sam and his sister. Um on a personal note of why this related to me, I loved when they were getting ready to go to the bank for the loan. Uh, they were prepping and Sam gets concerned. He's like, oh God, we got to go. And the sister says, hey, I, th- I thought it was in an hour. And Sam goes, there's no such thing as on time. You're either late or you're early. Pick one. And that just, that that resonated with me because it reminded me of me and my sister, where that's something that we've always butted heads with, where she is more of the laxed, sometimes late one. <laughs> And I am more of the early, like I will arrive at a movie theater 30 minutes early because I do not want to be late. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we've talked about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know. It was just a a point of relation that got me choked up because it was, I don't know. I liked what that dynamic of the brother-sister felt real to me because I could see versions of me and my own sister in it. Oh, no. I'm completely going to make that a gif 
and when my students email like about late work, I'm going to just <laughs> respond back with that. When's this due? And I'm just going to send that back to them. <laughs> See, the so earlier good. it's late. <laughs> like that's kind of, uh, I don't, I'm not going to do that, but okay. What's up? I said, I'm not going to do that. I'm not that mean, but okay. <laughs> All right. So as we're in this Sam section, um, I think we're getting to the the last point of it where we see him wrestling with the actual legacy of the shield, giving it up and what all that entails. Uh, I've also been alluding to getting to this point of, of, of overly romanticizing it. And I think we're here. So I, I'll set it up by this. Yeah. I mean, the outline does say Trey's fanboy gushing over cap section. We need to have that like on Twitter <laughs> and, and Instagram. So I'll just start with a quote. When Sam is having the press conference and he's giving up or not giving up the shield, but he's saying, this does not belong to me. It belongs to to Steve and the museum. He says, symbols are nothing without the women and men that give them meaning. And this thing, I don't know if there's ever been a greater symbol. And so this right here is why I know I'm going to love this show. Um, you know, I, again, I've made it well known how much Captain America is my favorite hero. Um, you know, at first it was because of Steve Rogers being aspirational goals, right? Like that's what it was for me, the... I can do this all day, That all that jazz. Right. But as I've thought about it more and started really, really maybe unhealthily piecing together, what it means to me is there's always been this small disconnect. And for a lot of various reasons, specifically because I've stopped running, I know I don't look like Steve Rogers. I know I don't look like <laughs> Sam. <laughs> I got to throw in some humor because if not, I might end up start crying. Uh, I know I don't look like Steve Rogers. I know I don't look like Sam. So this show is touching on what I think think makes this character special because Captain America is the embodiment of who we are supposed to be and the face of the way America often falls short. And yeah. I don't have to speak further than, you know, the last four years or the events that reignited the civil rights movements last summer or the way that we've seen, you know, the rise of Asian American discrimination that's giving birth to the stop Asian hate movement now. And so it feels like there will always be ways that we fall short. Mm -hmm. But to me, the beauty of that character of Captain America is that it isn't a singular person. And the super strength, the summoning Mjolnir, you know, that's that's the fantasy. But the superpower is the kindness. And so the shield and the mantle feels like a baton pass for anyone who's willing to step into that role and show kindness and respect. You know, right now it's Sam's turn in this fictional universe, but... Every one of us has that opportunity to pick up the shield in small ways. And again, this is where I know it's going on. You know, it, it feels like every one of us has an opportunity to pick up that shield in our own small ways in everyday life. And it almost feels now more than ever, it's, it's a responsibility. And so, yeah, this is superheroes, but it feels like that, that level of kindness to each other is needed now more than ever. And so even though right now in episode one, it feels like this show has a fundamental understanding of what makes that character so special. And I'm really excited to see Sam go on this journey. I I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> this is why I cry every time I see the portal scene. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to follow that. Um, Good or bad? No, I, it's not bad at all. Like, I, I don't yeah. I don't know how because it, it's it's interesting because everything you just said. Well, a couple, a couple things come to mind. Like, it's almost like everything you said is is kind of encapsulated. I think in Sam's struggle mm -hmm. of like, hey, Steve was able to take everything you said and be that right. 
Mm-hmm. And these doubts that he has in himself of like, can I do the same? Mm-hmm. Because it is such an important symbol, right? Yeah. And there is, mm-hmm. and there is an element of like that, that comes with the idea that, like you said, any of us can grab the shield or have the potential, right? Mm-hmm. It's reaching a point where you have the confidence in yourself to say, I can, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and that's what I found fascinating of like Sam's struggle here, yeah. you know? Um, and so I'm curious, did you, well, uh, two things. A, I was, uh, Daniel uh, <laughs> brought this up and not, not my brother, the other Daniel. Oh, okay. Okay. And, but one of the things he, he brought up and we we're, we we're really talking about Thor, but I think it applies here because Sam doesn't see himself worthy of the shield. Mm-hmm. And, he was wondering, he's like, he he would love to see somebody kind of do a write-up or a study of what does it mean to be worthy in the MCU? Yeah. Like, what are the characteristics that, that okay, so Vision was able to pick it up, Cat picked it up, you know. Um, I mean, because, like, we can, you could almost take it to where it's like, oh, Sam might be able to pick up the hammer, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what is what does it mean to be worthy? But I'm curious of where that struggle came from within himself. Only because I couldn't tell after the, I guess the Smithsonian curator said, thanks for coming forward with the shield, Sam. It was the right decision. Yeah. I read that to say, Sam's not the only one doubting him. Mm -hmm. Like he's not doubting himself. There's other people outside that are doubting him. And I couldn't tell from that if he voluntarily gave up the shield or if he was asked. Like, like I I would hope to get that, that question answered. Mm -hmm. And I think they will. Yeah. But did you get a sense of that? Like, did he give it up like because, oh, I don't feel worthy or was it he was asked so like made to not feel worthy? I don't know if I was thinking that as I was watching it, only because we see that he's already struggling with it from the moment go and in game because Steve asks him, how does it feel? Like it belongs to someone else. Right. So that idea is already with him about like not being worthy for it. I can totally see the government officials pressuring him and compounding mm-hmm. that lack of of self to give it up. But I think that plays more because as much as I was going on about like how anyone could be that Captain America in the small micro moments, this is Sam's story. And so I'm excited to see what that means for him and the ways that this show will explore that. Cause we even talked about it with some of that racial tension. I I think that's more that commentary of traditionally what that idealized version of America. I mean, think back to Captain America, uh, the first Avenger. They were trying to just turn him into that propaganda of right. American exceptionalism, rah, rah. And so I think that's more what that commentary is of trying to get it back to a quote-unquote traditional look. So I don't know. I think I think if they do reveal more of what happened leading up to that point, it'll help paint paint a broader picture. And I I think I'm with you. And yeah, I hope they do. Well, with the new cap, I think we're going to see that again. That American exceptionalism. Yeah. But well, because yeah, because even there, like I had this quote said, "The world is broken, and everybody is just looking for somebody to fix it." Mm-hmm. And then my next bullet point was, of course, Captain America can fix it. <laughs> um, <laughs> It, it, well, it, because there's the, the cynical side of me of like, again, that American exceptionalism, we can yeah. fix it, you, you know, mm-hmm. but like, I don't think that's what Sam meant because Sam is the one that gave that line. Yeah. You know, but I think because I think he gives that line from a place of that self doubt 
you know, of like, mm-hmm. oh, the world's broken. Everybody's looking for somebody to fix it. That's not me. But there is. I think we're going to see that 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 similar line of American exceptionalism. This is Captain America play out through the through these episodes with the. Are we going to say the new cap, the current cap, the false cap? I can answer that question. It, OK, with this. so with, OK, so something my daughter says all the time, like when she wants to say that she's not lying, she says no cap. <laughs> <laughs> and so now I'm just like, no, this is cap. So I don't know if I have a definitive answer, but I can read you straight my note, what what I think, and I'm, I'm censoring, I'm censoring it because uh, it's family friendly. Uh, expletive: <laughs> the new Captain America. <laughs> and uh, Nick Sandy and I even had a conversation, which I, I had to get his permission on posting the screenshot. But we both settled on the same time of saying Captain America for the new one, <laughs> nice. which is so juvenile yeah. and perfect. Well, but but, it, but it's it's it. I get that, but it's that feeling of like, no, that's the Steve Rogers. And no, it's Sam Wilson or, or Bucky Bar. Like, take your pick, right? Well, B- between the two, I, I mean, I think it should be Sam, but I'm just saying, like, to have somebody else that you don't know who it is at all. Uh huh. Man, it's such a jarring feeling. Most definitely. And, and I want ex- to. And the like... fact that they went for, like, the look alike, you know, blue eyed, white, <laughs> blonde hair, like, it just, they're going for those themes. And I'm, I'm really curious how they're going to play this out. And and I just want to say, emphasize, go ahead. No, go ahead. Emphasize. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were emphasizing that uncomfortable feeling of somebody else being in that Captain America mantle. And I feel like it's pertinent for me because again, how much I went on about anybody can be Captain America. They, they were drawing into that feeling of, you know, he had like a, a pistol on his side. Like that feels, even though in Captain America, the first Avenger, he did have a pistol. He has picked up arms throughout right. the entirety of the MCU. It was jarring to have that feeling of like, oh no, this is now part of who he is because it was holstered on his side. And so there's this feeling of authoritativeness to it that feels like it flies in the face of what I was saying about how this is who it feels like we're supposed to be and be a symbol of aspiration more than pure force if that makes sense no it makes sense yeah that's what leans into the uncomfortable feeling and again like i was saying i was talking to nick sandy he brought it up perfectly where he said you know we've had 10 years of these monumental figures of tony and steve in these roles they have to it's natural that it feels uncomfortable to us that this is somebody we don't recognize quote unquote playing the part of our hero yeah so Mm -hmm. and i was just gonna say the way the way that scene ended it Sam looked surprised. I don't think he knew that that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, even his sister was crying. Yeah. And so to see that shield with someone else after he gave it away, now it really reinforced for me. Did they ask him to give it up and give it to somebody else? Or did he voluntarily give it up for the museum and then they gave it to somebody else? Yeah. You know, I really think you're onto something because when he was giving up, giving it up, he said... Because I quoted what I liked about that line, but the thing that I left out is uh, he says something to the extent of that symbol means nothing without the man that propped it up, clearly speaking about Steve. And I think he continues to emphasize how this belongs to Steve. I don't think he would have given it up if he didn't think it was going to stay there in the museum. And so that's what makes me feel there is a level of manipulation. Yeah. I will say this because you did... You did bring up a point about how where did that feeling of doubt come from? 
it's still too early because obviously it's episode one, but I love that small commentary on, yes, it's valid that Sam is wrestling with this idea of stepping into the shoes of what Steve left behind. And Mm -hmm. it is his journey to make peace with picking up that mantle. But even though he felt like there was some peace and letting it go, I think it does say something to his, his, his struggle with whether or not he deserved it left a vacuum from someone else to step in that he doesn't know. And it's kind of that feeling of like, yes, you may be unsure of yourself, but with your hand on the wheel, there's more control in driving your own destiny. Right. So you're saying it's how Abrams felt after The Last Jedi. All right. I'm very vulnerable right now. Uh, (laughs) The fact that you're bringing this up. Except you know how we, we said we got to do a. Uh, ex- except, gotta, except when Wilson gets it back, we ho- it's, it's not going to be <laughs> the rise of as Skywalker. petty. <laughs> <laughs> as much as we talk about needing to do a Dark Knight episode, we've got to do Star Wars at some point as, as a bonus. bonus. Just run last there. Okay. the whole trilogy. <laughs> <sighs> if only this was our full time job. If I'm going to watch a Star Wars trilogy, I'm watching the Good trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew you were that into the prequels. Uh, anyway, oh, okay. <laughs> we're getting so off track. The only the, the well, last thing now I, before I derail before before I derailed you, I do agree with you 100 percent on that though. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that whole feeling of like the va- the you know that that space is going to be filled. Yes, you know, and and someone. My again, not the right person. I'm I'm assuming that's the way the story is going to go. Like, man, how heartbreaking is going to be? It was like, oh man, this guy's a really good guy. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so like, like so like clearly, I don't think he's going to be that because you got to find a way to get it back out of his hands and into Sam. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it's you're you're right. Like like that opened the door for mm-hmm. it to be filled. I'm I love this series already. Uh, one of the last things I think to cover is, you know, obviously Sam gives up the shield. We've seen the ramifications of that and what happens with this quote-unquote new cap. Uh, One of the things that we haven't touched on yet is that after that ceremony, Rhodey is there and he asks to speak with Sam privately as they mull over why Sam gave it up. And for me, I think it's very fitting that Rhodey is there to help guide Sam through this, not only because of their history in Civil War and now getting to see that clearly amends have been made, but yeah. to some level, I think Rhodey is going through that same feeling that he, that Sam is having about the mantle being passed on now that Tony's gone. And I know you're probably going to see that in Normal Wars. Yeah. Pro- yeah. And I know like it's not going to be a correct one to one because of knowing what's coming down the line with Riri Williams and stuff like that. But on some fundamental level, there is this idea of these giants are gone. These are who are in the place of stepping into those roles. So having Rhodey there to help guide him through those feelings. Um, it's a good connection point for them. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think that's going to be a really good story to tell and to see uh-huh. him struggle with that. I feel like he's going to, again, now I'm feel like I'm doing predictions for armor wars. I feel like he's going to have a little bit less of a struggle just because the suits he's wearing is so similar. Yeah. To Iron Man, you know, uh-huh. I mean, I see that struggle there. Whereas, like, you're clearly getting this symbol in the shield. Uh-huh. That's something you've never had before. But at least with Rhodey, he's been wearing, you know, 
I'm sorry. The first word that came to me down was the hand-me-downs from Stark, but he's been wearing <laughs> suits, you know, this whole time. Yeah. And there's a level that we've seen through the Iron Man movies. Rhodey has firsthand experience of what happens when Tony's weapons and, and technology falls into the wrong hands. He knows right. what that vacuum can create. And so yeah. he has that experience that Sam doesn't yet. And which Armored Wars is tackling what happens in the vacuum of Tony Stark. Yeah. I love this. I love I love the show. I love the MCU. I love the podcast. This has been a really fun one. This is so much fun. Yeah. So unless you got any more, I no, think- No, I'm ready is, for straight thoughts, actually. Yeah. That wraps up Sam's journey, or Sam's legacy, I should say. It's going to move us into straight thoughts. So Jude, do you have any straight thoughts? Oh, I have straight thoughts, sir. Um, cool. So first, I'm curious- is this all we're going to see of Rhodey? Because, hmm. you know, my prediction, non-prediction on NCU Rewind is Rhodey was going to show up. Uh, that was obviously cheating. But Well, that I was thinking about that today. I know we're already long. It's almost a philosophical debate. Is it cheating if you genuinely didn't know he was going to be in there? And what are predictions, if not clickbait titles, to somebody else? Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was wondering, like, is this all we're going to see, Rhodey? We're going to see yeah. more. This took place a few months after people returned. So yep. this takes place in the MCU timeline after WandaVision is the way I read that. And so what I was wondering is, did that line of the speech get picked up later after COVID to adjust for the releases? Hmm. So That's a good call. So that was kind of a stray thought of mine. Uh, we find out Bucky's pardoned. Uh, you know, we didn't get into that. And that was kind of a stray thought. Which I'm going to jump in here because you brought up the MCU Rewind predictions. I don't know. I I think they might be listening. So I don't know where you feel. I want to start making my case. Do I get a point on that? Because I, they we asked why Sam and Bucky are free to roam around. And I said it felt like there would be an agreement of either one doing service for them and turning it in. And it does seem like that plays into the whole pardoning. Yeah. So, yeah. MCU it, Rewind. Let us, know. Let, us, let us know how you score it. Actually, let me say this. Make sure you tune in to the MCU Rewind to find out how they score it. Yes. The better way to put it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So I had a note about Battleship. My middle daughter, last time we played Battleship, she destroyed me, but we didn't play it as a drinking <laughs> game. Uh, just straight up Battleship. No drinking game. Uh, side no juice note, boxes. No juice boxes. Uh, side note: Would Bucky? Shouldn't Bucky be like Bucky? Would be five years older if he wasn't blipped, right? Yes. So like he didn't age for five years. So like he like like he's had two times in his life where he didn't age, and everybody else did. Um, uh -huh. So that's gotta suck. Unfair. <laughs> um, you know, Torres clearly idolizes Sam and the Avengers, but my last stray thoughts, and I was saving this. Yeah. The guy who did the kick, is he enhanced or a mutant? <laughs> My grain of sand might be coming back because Torres then, in checking with Sam, says, you don't think he could be A, and Sam cuts him off. My grain of sand might be coming back. You thought we were done with our grains of sand, but they're back. <laughs> so uh, who is orchestrating this one? So yeah, that's, that's, that, is, that is all the... Uh, <laughs> the straight thoughts I have. What about you? You know, you touched on some of them, the condition of your pardons. I was going to bring that up. Um, kind of more in line with the blip. I love that it continues to be a shockwave in the MCU. Um, I always said that I wanted a series dealing with the aftermath of the snap. They obviously, because Marvel continues to make great decisions, has made the great decisions to let the story be told organically through these shows. And I love that. 
Um, and finally, there was a scene where Sam and his sister were talking, and Sam says something to the extent of, let's go get some dinner, I'm hungry. This could totally be a stretch, but I love that it almost invokes this feeling of a conversation he had in Winter Soldier, where <laughs> Natasha and Steve are outside his window, I think, and he's like, yeah, I'm making breakfast if you two eat that sort of thing. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you're right, I remember that line. And the reason it makes so like it feels so important to me is because I wish I could remember the quote or find it, but I'm scared to look it up now because of spoilers. But one of the creatives on the show said that it's not I'm paraphrasing. It's not enough to see these heroes in the action moments. We need to see what they're like at home as well. And so having that moment where eating was a grounding factor of how, quote unquote, normal Sam was in Winter Soldier is called back here with the, hey, let's eat. And it feels like it's another grounding moment of him being normal before we see him growing to that grandiose role. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good catch. I'm going to say yes, it was intentional. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And that's the fun of it, right? Even if it's not, is that you get to draw these lines and that's where it becomes special. Yeah. And now, you end up spending 10 minutes talking about how much Captain America means to you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last thing, there was no end tag. I hope that that's the way we go the rest of the show. So do I. At least until the last episode. Mm -hmm. The very last episode, then you give me an end tag. But I noticed there were a lot of clues in the end credits. Hmm. I didn't. I got to be honest. I didn't. I didn't have time to sit down and watch because, like, I saw. I squirreled to see if there's an end tag, but I didn't actually watch the credits. Yeah, watch through it because, like, there was clearly like, okay, so you see a silhouette, or you see you see Bucky, and you see Sam, and then they get their the names. You know, Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan come up, but then you get Baron Zemo with the purple hood, but the actor's name doesn't show up. Hmm. You get clearly who's going to be Sharon Carter, Agent Thirteen. But her name didn't come up. And so when you look at the stuff that they show, uh, I think there was a lot. And I didn't I didn't like pause it and go frame from frame, but I uh, frame by frame. But I noticed that. And so I'm really there's a lot in there. I'm glad you brought that up because I can use this to to transition us into our predictions. And I was going to I was going to try and like throw a caveat. Like, I don't know if this if I need to put a spoiler qualifier because this is based off the trailers. And I don't know what line of, of spoilers people have for that. But you bring up a good point about Baron Zemo being mentioned in the credits. So I feel fine saying my spoiler now or my uh, yeah. prediction. Yeah. Oh, well, it it wasn't. I mean, I mean, it was not like the actor's name wasn't up, but it was clearly like that's the purple hood. Yeah. Or the purple ski mask or whatever it is you want to say there. In the, in, and I just noticed like, OK, the actor's name's not coming up. And fine, he's not in this episode. But... It just made me wonder, there's not an end credits, but they're, they probably put some stuff knowingly in there um, yeah. that I, that again, I didn't comb through, but just kind of jumped mm -hmm. out at me. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look. Cause that, that seems like there's definitely there's to part. There's definitely stuff there to parse. Sorry, Leech, if you didn't realize Zemo was in there and I didn't mean to ruin your week. Well, I didn't get to verify this because we started recording. They messaged me that like Disney Plus spoiled more with the Legend series, the recap stuff, because apparently they put up more people. I don't know because I know Leech has a very tight ship on spoilers. I don't know if they just didn't know that Zemo and Sharon Carter had a section or if there's more people that got added. And now I'm very afraid to look. But I have not watched. I have not watched the Legends. Yeah. I've only experienced the Legend show through listening to Tara's podcast, which in her talking Marvel about should hire her because those I think her recaps are so much better than what they're doing with Legends. <laughs> like, like I get that it's like you know you probably want just if you're Disney like a cheap way to just put out content and a way for people to catch up. 
and right. that's fine. Tara's walkthroughs are so much better. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Feige, super fan. Get on you it. You should pay Tara. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Contact Tara. Oh, man. So, like I said, I was alluding to, uh, we are now moving into our predictions. So we'll start with you. Jude, do you have any predictions for next week's episode? I, I'm going to... I'm not going to have a specific prediction. Yeah. I'm going to have, because again, knowing that this is only six episodes, I feel like that they're going to pick up the pace a little bit already Yeah, in episode two. Knowing that they're all going to be in that 50-minute range, um, you're still looking at like 40, 41-ish, right? Because of credits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like we can expect them to pick up the pace. Like, like Sam and Bucky are going to be together at this point, like, you know, by the... At some point, maybe midway through, they're going to get reconnected somehow. We'll probably start off an episode with another Flag Smashers attack uh-huh. that'll kind of prompt them to get going. So, yeah. What about you? What is your predictions? So, I'm going to be super specific. This is my prediction. I'm swinging for the fences. I think Agatha shows up. <laughs> I was right. My grain of sand comes back. Uh, no, um, my prediction is it's going to be a cold open. And this is where we get to learn more about Zemo, like straight up, like this is how he gets introduced into the series mm-hmm. and what his experience experience with the blip was like. Yeah. His, so. The blip, how he got out. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. That That's that's it's, it's too early to make any grand predictions because it's only episode one. So I'm sticking to the specifics of that's what's happening from moment one. No, no. And that's a good one because you I mean, again, you have to give your characters time. Uh-huh. You know, if you want him to develop. And so it makes sense to just jump right in. Let's establish our next our next big character. Mm-hmm. All right. That's going to do it for our episode. So if you have any thoughts or opinions or want to answer some of the questions we had about the outdatedness of bringing flowers to a date, you can always reach us at MC you Need to Know on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you'd like to write us an email, at MC you Need to Know at gmail.com. And if you'd be so kind to follow us on Apple Podcast or Spotify, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcast, leave a rating and review. Always the feedback is appreciated. Uh, helps us make better content for you. And the biggest thing you could do to help us out is to share with a friend. And also, uh, you know, I mentioned it earlier in the episode when we were talking about some of the uh, discrimination against Asian Americans that's been rising lately. You know, if you if you want to find out more about ways that you can help or find donation links, you can go to stopaapihate.org to find out more information there. Uh, essentially, it is to stop the hatred against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in the United States. So it's a great resource to find out more what's going on and find out ways that you can help. Yeah. Finally. We'd like to give a special thanks to Nick Sandy for the use of our theme song, which is his rendition of the Avengers theme. You can find more of his work on his SoundCloud, which is also linked in the description. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you so much for doing this, Jude. Thank you, Trey. We'll see you all next week. So are you uh, on are, are you on the shared outline? Uh the shared one? No. Uh, uh okay. I have Okay. I have I have my notes written on a private one just cuz like whatever my own Yeah, okay. Why what what did you need on the uh on the shared one? <laughs> what did you I'm looking over it now. <laughs> what did you do? <laughs> Trace fanboy gushing over <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right you I may have just to make. The, We're good. that you're just 
Yeah. You just beat the Mephisto in tag. <laughs> Whatever. <coughs> I've, I'm fully going to embrace how much flack I'm going to get after this. <laughs> I will say this. Like, I don't know if I ever told you this joke, and I know I can't say it in the podcast. So maybe if it does have a chance of ever seeing the light of day, it will be in the end tag if you approve of it. You have no idea how much I just wanted to tweet out Mephist me with that bullshit on the day that the WandaVision oh finale God. dropped because I was so tired of all the Mephisto theories. <laughs> See, we do have Patreon content. <laughs> we just give it away for free. <laughs> Oh, oh I feel like this has to be the end. <laughs> <laughs> You're editing, so. Hey, we'll our see. rule was if they say it in the show, we can do it. We'll think about it. I'm sure we'll mess up some other way and it'll be. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> you, that was a devilish. Hmm. No, I'm just thinking because like, this is like, yeah, there is an element of like, okay, they said and talked about it in the show. Um. But I don't know if I'll I want to. I don't know if I want to cross that line. I'll add beeps. <laughs> <laughs>